Amen. If you're able, comfortably, uh, remain standing to honor God's word. Today it comes to us from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. During Lent, we've been preaching a series of sermons on found uh, in the texts found in the upper room discourse. This is Jesus in the upper room having uh, conversation with his disciples, and and in that discourse, he gives several promises to followers who are discouraged, who are worried, who are scared, who are troubled. Jesus promises, we heard last week, to bring them the Holy Spirit advocate, the comforter. We heard how Jesus said that he's promising a home for us, a dwelling place, the promise of answered prayer and a promise of a way to the Father. Today we're hearing Jesus promise us, promise his disciples, his followers, that if we abide in him we will bear much fruit. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable and be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A vine was a very common sight in Palestine at the time of Jesus. A strong vine represented prosperity and peace. Vineyards, as you know, require a lot of intensive long-term care. The soil was dug, cleared stones out of the way, a wall had to be erected to uh, discourage predators. And vines require heavy annual pruning and intensive labor. There was in Palestine an, an a heightened expectation of harvest and a deep disappointment at the loss of a vintage. The Old Testament is filled with analogies, images, Metaphors using vines and vineyards and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the Psalms. And in, in all of these cases, the vine represents the people Israel. But it's also interesting that in every single reference, the vine Israel has gotten off course. The vine is diseased, it's fruitless, it is empty, it's run wild, and <coughs> it's always under judgment for infidelity or for fruitlessness. Not a real vine, as, as vines are supposed to be. The reason why you have vines is so they would produce fruit. And so Jesus is talking with his disciples, knowing the agriculture that is all around them, but also the scriptures that are inside of them. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the true vine. And my father 
is the gardener, the one taking care. I'm the vine, he says, you, the disciples, to us, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, if you make your home in me, Jesus says, you abide. I don't use that word much anymore, but you abide in me. Live with me. The result will be much fruit. When I was 10 years old, my grandparents gave me a gift. They opened up a savings bank account for me. And they made an initial deposit of $100. And when I was 10, I thought that was an enormous sum of money. And I got one of those little bank books, you know, those little green bank books you had, or maybe they were red, they were a little small, and in it, it had a notation there about the deposit, $100, and that was their gift. And they talked to me about things like, you know, over time, this can grow. And I had heard talk about interest and how this thing can really grow and develop, and I heard about things like compound interest. I didn't know what that meant, but that sounded like it would really grow. You know, if you had compound interest, it would just grow exponentially. <coughs> so when I was 10, I thought, wow, I'm on the road here. I'm gonna, this is going to really grow into something pretty impressive at some point. And I, you know, I'd look at the bank statement, and I would look at this book for a while. And, and, but, you know, as 10-year-old boys over, often are, after a while I got distracted, and I kind of forgot about it put that bank book in a drawer and just kind of forgot about it. Until I turned 16, I was at a point in life where I was desperate for freedom to get away from these people that lived in my house. And I wanted a car, and the car was a symbol of freedom. And I was going through a drawer one day, and I found the bank book. And my first thought was, with compound interest, this is going to be an enormous sum of money. I didn't know what that was, but I bet this has really blossomed and grown into something spectacular. I'm going to be able to get a car. I'll probably be able to get a new car. I mean, I had numbers in my mind of this great sum of money that was in the bank. This is what happens. The interest it grows. So I took the bank book. I went down to the bank. I went over to the teller. And I said, I'm going to cash this in. I want my money. And I handed it to her, and she looked at the thing and typed it up, and she said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but there is no money in your account. I said, well, that can't be. I have the book. We made a deposit. Like, the money's here. I haven't taken any out. The money's here. It's probably grown. It's bigger. So make a mistake. Try it again. Look it up. She said, no, there's no money in that account. I mean, I, I said, no, that can't be. They called the manager over. The manager looked it up. And then the manager sat me down and he explained to me. He says, I need to tell you something. Due to inactivity... There were service fees, and that ate up all of your money. I'm sorry, that's wrong. I'm still unable to trust banks because of that. I couldn't believe this. Like, you can't take my money through, through this. this is, I, I, I still don't understand this, but due to inactivity, there were service fees, and it's gone. Some of us received this faith long ago with great enthusiasm. And we had dreams about it growing and it becoming something special and something wonderful. But maybe 
we tucked it away in a drawer and forgot about it. But maybe we remembered, but we still tucked it in a drawer, but we remembered, well, I do have this thing that I can call on when I need it. Maybe there's a crisis in my future. Maybe there's a hardship, and I, I, I understand there was this initial deposit, but I've got it there in case I need it, and then I'll be able to call on it. Due to inactivity, we can lose that thing. It wasn't, faith was never designed to be something that we call forth when we need it down the road. It's supposed to be, it's designed to be an active, engaging, everyday kind of thing. Where we're working it, we're receiving it, we're participating in it. Jesus says, live in me and you will produce fruit. Live in me. Make your home in me. Stay connected to me. Don't put your faith away in a drawer. And what that means is, is that each and every day we do things to stay connected. We do things. We pray. We read the scriptures. We meditate. We listen. We serve others. We wash feet of others. And we do them not because these are what these are the things that religious people are supposed to do. It's much more personal. We do this to help keep our connection with God, to keep our hearts close to Christ's heart. There isn't a day that I'm alive that I don't need to be reminded and told that I am loved dearly by Christ. I forget. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't desperately need to be reminded that I am forgiven and loved and cherished because we live in a world of ungrace. We live in a world that is full of harsh judgment. And if I'm obsessed with that, if I'm living in that, I'm not going to bear fruit. And so we do the things to stay connected. And it means being open and receptive. A seed cannot get planted in hard clay-packed soil. Our job is to stay open. God, what word do you have for me today? How can I be connected to you today? How can I remain open and receptive and soft, teachable? So you can plant the things that need to be planted in my life. And so we... Read the scriptures. We sit in Bible study with others. We do what we're doing here this morning. We, we worship the living God. Sometimes we get distracted. We have a lot going on. And maybe we need others to hold us accountable. Haven't seen you re recently. Are you praying? Are you reading your scriptures? Can I remind you that you're loved and cherished deeply by God and forgiven? The Holy Spirit can work in our hearts if we're open and ready to receive the words that he has for us so that our character might be built and so that our lives will be connected to Christ at all times. Now, now look at the text carefully here. Jesus does not say to his disciples, listen, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to do the biggest thing anything, anyone's ever done. I'm doing my part now. You need to go out, guilt, shame. You need to go out and do good works, produce fruit. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, would you stay close to me, abide in me, and then you will produce fruit. It's the Lord's doing. The fruit that is produced by you and me, the good works, the good things, is not what we do. It's him working through us. It's really, really important for us to remember. 
He says, so all you need to do, all we should do is abide in him. Live with me. Live in my words. Relax in my promises. Trust in my grace. Hear the word that says, I love you and I, and I cherish you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. When we do that, we can't help but bear fruit. Jesus' desire for us is that, that we live that way. And there's a missionary call in this because he wants us to be people in our workplace, in our schools, in the retirement village we live in, in the neighborhood, to be people who are making fruit manifest. That's what he wants from, from, from all of us. Um, we're called to be in this creative process with him. Do you remember the first art class you ever took when you were in grade school? You probably were given a piece of paper with an outline, and they told you, draw inside the lines. Right? You have these Crayola crayons, but draw inside the lines. And if you go outside the lines, you're marked down. This is the way we were taught. It really didn't matter the colors you used, but just you have to stay within the lines. Sometimes the spiritual life gets treated in a similar way. There are people around us, there are spiritual bullies that say, you know, I, here's the outlines, and you've got to live within them. And if you go outside of them, you're in trouble. You're, not, you're going out on your own, and it's just not, it doesn't work. And these people get into church, and they speak in spiritual terms. They say that you have to live this Christian life within the right doctrine. It has to be within the exact right doctrine. And you have to attend the exact right church, and you have to um, have the exact right moral code, and you have to read the just right translation of the Bible. You need to be baptized, but not just baptized. You've got to be baptized in the exact right way, in the right formula. And by the way, it has to be done in the right church. It doesn't count if it was done in that church. You need to listen to the right kinds of Christian music, not the other kind. And it has to be performed or sung in the right church. And all the while, they are chastising us. And it doesn't feel very creative. It doesn't feel very freeing. We hear Jesus say, produce fruit, and they're keeping yelling and screaming at us, telling us, but you better do it this way. That's another way to teach art. Sometimes we teach art this way. We give students, young people, a piece of paper, and we say, build, do whatever you want. Create anything you want. No lines. Don't draw something. No instruction. Just do. You create art. You make what you want. And by the way, when they do, it always has to be celebrated, right? There's no good or bad there. Because it was me, and I was sincere, and it was what I expressed. It's what I felt. It's my production. It's my... F do you hear the pronouns there? It's a lot of me-centered me. And whatever I want is the ultimate reality in that. Sometimes we treat the spiritual life like that. We say, you can do whatever you want as long as you're kind. As long as you're sincere, everything is fine. But that goes against what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, you're, you can't do anything apart from me. 
And you, by the way, you're just a branch. You're connected to me. You have to stay connected to me. So what is it? See, I think Jesus is offering a whole different way here. And I think the way Jesus is offering is the way we were created to live. And by the way, there's tons of creativity and freedom in it. The, the very DNA, the essence of you, the joys that you have, the passions you have, the gifts that God gave you, those are the things that are going to be uniquely used to bear fruit in unique ways, in unique situations that the world needs in your world. And it's such a creative process. And it's a wonderful process because if we're connected to him, all the while he's saying, you know you're loved. You know you're forgiven. And then that spills over. And the people around you are loved and cared for, celebrated. Sometimes you think, well, I'm not in a season of life where I can do this kind of work. Well, nonsense. It's every age. It's every stage. You may be in your last week of life in the nursing home. You can bear fruit. You can. Wonderful fruit. You can begin to pray. You can begin to pray for people in need. When people walk into the room, you can be kind and generous and gracious to them. That's exactly what Christ calls us to be and do. When we're young, when we're at work, when we're at college, any, any stage of life, at any point, we can wake up in the morning and say, that's right, I'm loved. I'm forgiven. I'm free. Now, today is an adventure. Today is an incredible adventure. I can do something marvelous. I can bear God's fruit where I go. Maybe the Lord will present somebody to me just for me that day, and I can surprise them with generosity or patience or forgiveness. In Christ, we are set free to create, to live, not to live as artists, not as copiers. This is a creative life. Some of the most wonderfully dangerous people, creative people you can come in contact with are someone who is showing forth fruits of the Spirit, someone who brings love and self-control into the workplace, someone who practices joy and patience with the neighbor that no one else will talk to because they don't like being in their company. Someone at school who models self-control in a world that says, do whatever you want to do, whatever you feel like. Creative work requires materials. A painter needs a canvas and a palette of paints. A sculptor needs clay and marble and chisels. A potter needs a wheel and, 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 and clay. And a, a conductor needs instruments and musicians to play them. What are you and I given? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We don't create out of nothing. We need materials to work with. And the Lord gives them to us. And they are made manifest when we abide in him. Now, like so much of our Lord's teaching we find an extra sentence. Have you noticed this? And in our text, there's an extra sentence. Because everything I've said so far sounds pretty good. Jesus says this, He, the Father, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
He wants to cut off branches in your life and mine that are dead and useless. Bitterness. Anger. Cynicism. Or maybe it's a relationship that you're in that's not healthy. Or maybe it's a business deal that you know deep down probably isn't good or right. And Lord says, we're going to need to cut that out. We're going to need to break that branch. Or, you know, maybe it's a strength. Maybe you're so gifted in one area, so talented, and the Lord is saying, you know, that's a place of concern because in that area, you don't trust me. You're very proud of your accomplishments and what you've done. And maybe the Lord says, we're going to prune that for a while so you'll learn and remember how abiding in me and trusting in me is the only way to live. Friends, this can be very public. It can be very personal. Sometimes it, it hurts pruning. But if we're going to produce fruit, we're going to need to allow God to do this work in our lives. He's determined to do it. Have you ever worked on a rose bush before? You know, they don't really work on their own. You notice this? If you ever see on a rose bush a really wonderful rose in full bloom, it's because it's been worked on heavily. On its own, a rose bush will get tangled and it'll turn inward. Um, it'll, get, it'll turn and twist in a way so that it actually blocks out the light that it needs. It needs help to grow in the right directions and, and to the right ends. So you prune it to stop it from wasting its energy and being unproductive. You cut out the parts of the plant that are growing inward and are, that are tangled up. I don't know about you, but in my life, there's a lot of parts that are tangled and are pointing inward. <laughs> Every time I say, you know, well, what about me? What am I getting out of this? What about my rights? Is that being fruitful? Is that producing the fruit of gentleness, patience, self-control? Left to myself, I can get really tangled, and I, it's unproductive. And I'm not looking, and I'm not receiving the light. Rosebush needs to be pruned so that you encourage the shoots that, to grow outward toward the light. In other words, you prune the rose to help it be its true self. What is your true self? Your true self is a person who receives Christ's love every day and is reminded of the love of Jesus Christ. Your true self is someone that will produce fruit, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, love. Your true self is meant to be someone who looks like Jesus. Lewis put it this way. He said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ and to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose it is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. 
Isn't that wonderful? And he does all the work, even better. That's the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for your your love and your grace, which comes to us new every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Help us to be a people who live into that truth, into that knowledge. And then, Lord, we want that love to spill out, to be poured out to the people around us so that they'll see and feel and taste and know that you are good when they receive our patience and our goodness and gentleness and self-control. Help us, Father, this church to be attached to the, to the vine, you, that our witness might be strong. We pray this, Lord, uh, with humility. We pray it trusting our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and